Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Thursday, November 17th, doing something a little bit different this week. Rather than have one sort of giant show at the end of the week, I wanted to divide it up and do two shows, one today, one tomorrow. On this show, we're going to be talking about racing from Aqueduct and Woodbine, and we're going to kick things off with a special guest who's going to help us with the Naira portion of the show, but I also want to talk to her about her new job. She does many things, but uh, I'd say this week, the main credit that she's being uh, tagged with is the announcer, the race caller at Parks. She is our pal, Jessica Paquette. Jessica, how are things? Everything's great, PTF. How are you? Things are good. How's the new job going? The new job was a lot of fun. The first week, you know, um, it is a wild phenomena just getting to have your first couple of days of work in front of so many eyes as you make some inevitable, you know, green errors. And I'm really excited to continue to get better. No one's going to work harder and to absorb all of the good feedback I've gotten. That's interesting. So you've gotten some good constructive criticism. It's not just, you know, strange people in the basement writing things on on Twitter. uh, I mean, I've gotten plenty of those too, to be fair, but I've reached out to announcers that I admire and have asked them to be mean um, because that's coming from a good place and I want to get better and I want to kind of, at this point, I'm a blank slate in a lot of ways. I've called, you know, 70 races probably total in my entire life. So this is the chance where... I have an opportunity to not have any bad habits. I can kind of take the criticism and find my style that way. Let's go back to where this idea came from. And there was a good article about you this week that I'm probably going to be stealing many of of the questions from because I just thought it framed your journey really well. Take us back to the first time you thought you might want to be a race caller. The first time I really thought I wanted to do it was last summer when I finished up a weekend at Sam Houston doing the quarter horses, where after three days, I started to get into a little bit of a groove and went, oh, man, I with some reps, I could maybe really do this. And that was exciting. Up until that point, it had always felt like a novelty, like I was filling in and a great opportunity and so much fun, but it, I hadn't really found my footing. And I, I did start to get it that last weekend of quarters at Sam Houston. So I'm hoping... A couple more weeks at parks, I'll start to have those same feelings again. This isn't something you dreamt of as a child, though. You hear those the, the, the stories about various race callers, you know, uh, calling matchbox cars on the kitchen floor and and, and things like that. It, it doesn't it doesn't go back that far. It was you know comparatively a, a recent uh, idea. It sounds like. Yeah, it is something. Well, growing up as a girl in racing, there was no real. It didn't even occur to me that women could be race callers, to be perfectly honest with you. There just wasn't a lot of representation in that area. And so many women broke down barriers for women like me to have a career in broadcasting. And now this is just the next one. That makes a lot of sense to me. I would imagine you might have heard from some of those women in the last uh, few weeks. Have you gotten any interesting messages along those lines? The industry response has been really, really touching. Um, I want to make it, that's actually the most pressure I feel is that I want to make everyone that is rooting for me proud. Well, I think that there is a lot to build on from what I've heard. It sounds to me like you're getting better already, and I'm super excited to see what comes next. You talked about getting constructive criticism from people you admire. What other tools does one have in the toolbox to improve at a, at a job like this? Like what, what's your, I know you, and, and I, I think, you know, like me, you're, you're a bit of a planner. You're not somebody who just goes into these things and, and wings it. What's, uh, what's the program look like in, in terms of how you want to 
tackle this difficult chore and, and, you know, make the best of this great opportunity? Uh, I got different binoculars. Uh, I ordered a set of image stabilizers, which I hope help a little bit. The set I had was very nice, but I think a little upgrade certainly can't hurt. Like the most tools at my disposal, I will take. And then it's just kind of going back and listening to your races, listening to your calls, the self-loathing that comes along with that <laughs> is like objectively pick yourself apart and finding the little things that you do like and leaning into that, but also being realistic about the things you did not do well, the things you missed, the things you can do better. It's also an interesting thing because when many of the announcers that I admire were starting out, there wasn't social media and simply watching other races weren't, it was not as accessible. It does change it for sure. And I would imagine there's plenty you can learn now in real time while you're up there in the booth from watching other callers do their thing. Am, am Absolutely. I yeah. I, and I'm, I'm looking forward... I'm um, looking forward to talking to some other callers this week, too, about just some memorization tricks. And like everyone's brain works a little bit differently. So it's finding the tricks and tips that work for the way you think. How much of a template can you have for a race call and how much is each one its own bespoke event? I think once you're really good and really comfortable, you probably have a pretty, a pretty good template in your mind. But at this point, they come out of the gate for me and it is all new. <laughs> I would imagine with experience, that's one of the things that's going to get that, that's going to get easier as time goes on. One thing that I really think is that, that can't be taught that you have is just the right voice. You know, I, I, I that was one thing I was really appreciating in the calls is just the the way you sound sounds very professional. It sounds even though it is this fairly groundbreaking thing. You know, I, I don't want to diminish. Uh, Angela Herman and the, the weeks that sure. she called out at Golden Gate a few years ago, but it's this, it's this groundbreaking thing. But at the same time, the, your voice, I think, I don't know what it is, but for me fits the, the template of what I expect from a race caller. And, and, you know, it's, it's pleasing to listen to. And, and, you know, that's the kind of thing if somebody said, well, you got to change your voice. I, I don't think you'd have, you'd have much shot. I mean, I got to figure that's something that you count as a positive in your corner. I will take that. I will take that all day. And I'm very grateful for that. And it's funny because we do have announcer voice. I think you you have that too. You have radio voice that when you are speaking in a professional manner, it's definitely different than our casual conversation voice. For sure. For sure. You mentioned about going back and listening. That's something I did so much in the early days of the podcast. I mean, I think I'm a living example of what you're talking about, about being able to get better through reps and that very, very difficult at first critical listening of going back and, oh, I wish I'd said this instead, or what is, what's going on with my voice there or this and that. And, you know, in time you just build and, and you get, you get better and you develop for lack of a better word, like that much more of a shtick. And then- yeah. You know, the challenge being to keep it to keep it natural and to, you know, to get that polish without losing while still discovering your individual voice. I mean, that's a challenge, I think, in all of broadcasting that, you know, I don't think there's that. That's one of those things I think that just sort of evolves naturally. There's not a lot. There's not a lot you can do in terms of, oh, I'm going to now find my own voice and what makes me special. It's more about just drilling down on the fundamentals, I would think, and and just improving at that basic level. And you, you sort of build that level of operations that allows you to grow from there. Does that make any sense? That makes a ton of sense. I, I definitely want to get my accuracy better. I want to get my margins better. These are all things like that I want to really focus on. And then I can start adding a little more personality into it. 
Well, we're all rooting for you, and I really enjoyed listening to you this week and excited to see what uh, what what comes next. Do you have any other uh, – you know, there's been some media around it, certainly lots of uh, – Lots of back and forth and industry people. You got a nice shout out on the owner's box show, et cetera, et cetera. Any other media planned or is it just at this point in time to focus on the task at hand? There's still some media coming and some media planned and you know, anything I can do to promote the sport, I am more than happy to do that. Or if it you know, opens up an opportunity for another woman or inspires another woman to take a swing at a position or a role that she had maybe talked herself out of, by all means, I'm more than happy to take the pressure and take the all the opportunities. I used to joke that my daughter, given her nascent interest in racing and her broadcasting blood, and by broadcasting blood, I refer not to me at all, but my father, who was a disc jockey in New York, as many people know. And I used to joke and say, I think her future is going to be the first uh, full-time female race caller. Well, you you, you beat her by uh, at least a decade. So that's kind of cool. Well, I hope I make it a lot easier for her to get there. And I hope she's so much better than I am. <laughs> Great stuff, Jess. Let's move on to the business of talking about these aqueduct races on Saturday. Oh, there's one more tie-in question. How important is it, if at all, to do handicapping as you prep for your role announcing the races, calling the races? Well, as I continue to grow into this role, I will be taking over some of the day-to-day handicapping uh, in between races as well. So I'll be doing it in that capacity. For me, I like to have an idea of how I think the race is going to unfold, but not be kind of locked into what I want to happen like right. you do as a handicapper. Right. That's a fine line, right? Yeah, I do for love sure. it. I love it when they'll drop in, you know, I'm trying to think of a caller who would who would do this, maybe a Pete Aiello takes <laughs> his customary place at the back of the pack, that kind of I do love that little like bit of nuance, but you don't and I will not name the name of the race caller that I'm going to say a lot of people out there, I'm sure know who I'm referring to when, when you can tell that, that he's had a bet and maybe gets a little too excited that uh, <laughs> that's clearly going a little bit too far in that direction. We can talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Race calling is exciting enough. I don't really need to add any action on top of that for myself. <laughs> Pretty funny stuff. Well, I'm glad you're still looking. We could always count on you. You know, you were, you were rocking the, the degenerate horse player t-shirt the other day. And we appreciate that. Um, Great outfits, by the way, on, on the first couple of days as well. But, I'm still uh, going to try to make this stylish. <laughs> I love that. Um, th- there's a joke to be made, but I can't. I don't want to insult the sartorial choices of any of our fine current race callers. But the Degenerate Horse Player t-shirt tips your hand that you're still looking at other races, including Aqueduct on Saturday, where we're here to talk about this pick six that kicks off in race number five with an interesting little two-year-old maiden special weight event going six and a half on the dirt. Who did you like in here? So I think there are some prices to be had here. And kind of, this is an interesting two-year-old race. I went with Slip Mahoney to the outside for Brad Cox. Son of Arrogate, only cost $150,000. So off of that, I have to think this is a horse that wasn't winning any beauty contests or maybe confirmation contests as a youngster. But that doesn't have any bearing on necessarily how he will be as a racehorse. And that work tab has been really sharp. I think he'll debut pretty well here. I also like uh, Litigate. This is a Centennial Farm horse coming up for Todd Pletcher. They've recently sent some horses to Todd. And I think that could be a really good owner-trainer combination. Steady work tab. Son of Blame, you have to think he gets a little bit better as he gets older and he gets a little more real estate. But I'm interested in him in his debut. And I'll 
put the numbers on this. We were handicapping this early, so I don't have the numbers and there's an entry and I don't want to mess it up. So we'll talk about names in here. And then if you're somebody out there who gets our in the money plus notes, I'll, I'll correct the numbers when I have them, uh, when I have them sorted out, I think slip Mahoney is going to be the eight. And I think litigate is going to be the five, but anyway, I'm not sure about that. So we'll, we'll leave it alone. Actually, I think litigate is going to be the six because I think the five is clubhouse, a runner that I wanted to talk about in here. A couple of nice turf efforts, but based on this horse's blood by Spitestown out of a tap at dam, I would think that the dirt would be okay for this runner. Just also look like one for whom the turn back in distance should suit as well. Potential danger of getting over bet, but I, I thought a likely enough winner that I was going to put on top. And we do have the entry in here, as I mentioned, and each half of them I think has a chance for the Klarovich Chad Brown combination, equal protection and index fund, both by excellent debut sires in McLean's music and good magic. And uh, Chad Brown, it's funny because I don't think people necessarily think, oh, Chad Brown, he wins so much first out. I think he just wins so much in general. But I think over the last couple of years, it's about 20%. I mean, he's certainly a guy who has them ready and is concerned about his win percentage and doesn't like use races for training as much as some do. So anyway, I'm looking at Clubhouse and the Brown entry, Slip Mahoney and Litigate for Jessica to kick off the pick six. We'll move to race six. I think we're going to be on the turf here. I'm going to be an optimist. I looked at the forecast and even though they're off the turf. What's that? I'm hoping I handicapped with turf in mind yes, here. I'm pretty sure they're off today, but like it rained yesterday and the, the, the next couple of days, you know, fingers crossed look to be good. We've got this allowance race. We're going a mile and three ace. I picked the seven constitution lawyer getting meaningful class relief in this spot. And I just really like the look of the last two runs chance that constitution lawyer can get loose on the lead under rosario this horse has just found a home going longer on the turf for ray handel who does a great job generally and has been on a hot streak of late a couple of horses we've talked about on the show many times i will definitely be backing up with using in exotics the eight danzig with the stars and the 10 kulain they both just make tons of sense from a form and figures point of view and i will not be getting uh, beaten in exotics from the eight and the ten but i was going to focus on the seven here jess how did you see it I'm going a little wacky here, and that's with Curbstone, a homebred for Patricia Mosley, who, of course, has some strong, strong local Suffolk Downs and New England connections. This one is a half to Proctor's Ledge, so the turf certainly makes sense. Yep. The form is a little inconsistent, but a lot of upside. He's been freshened since July. First time gelding, a little brain surgery, never hurt anybody. <laughs> and he has some speed. I think if he can run back to that speed he showed earlier in his career, I think that could be a pretty dangerous on the type of turf course he may get. The Thomas Morley Barn really does a terrific job at kind of everything. So I think this horse might be quietly live. I like that idea. First time gelding. I mean, in on the tickets where I'm going to spread with a horse that has any chance, I'm almost always going to toss them in on that. Um, and I do think you're going to get, I think you're going to get a nice price despite the, the, the higher profile, uh, you know, team has been doing so well this year of Morley and Castellano. Any others to go with Curbstone or that is that where you're going to focus your action here? I like Dripping Gold a little bit as well. Just too consistent, too classy to get past as far as I'm concerned. This is one that in this kind of competition, he fits really well. I think this is his level at this point. And coming in off of a good effort last time out, I think he fits here. Lots of interesting ideas there for race six. We'll move to the featured race number seven, the Gio Ponte stakes for these three-year-olds going a mile and a 16th on the turf. And Jess, we'll keep it with you. This is another wacky opinion, and I will die on this hill. It's fine. I've been chasing Wow What a Summer since he debuted at Colonial. I really think this horse is the real deal. I did have him in that big score in the Penn Mile at like 80-something to one. 
he in when he was a youngster at Colonial, he was probably the most impressive young horse I saw that season. And there were a lot of nice young horses that first summer I was that at Colonial. And I know he's been a bit inconsistent. His recent form has been pretty terrible, if we're being honest. But I think it's an interesting jockey change to Jose Ortiz here. And I that has like a little vote of confidence for me. And the Chucky Lawrence keeps putting him in these stakes races against good competition. I think he has faith in him. Chuck Lawrence, no stranger to lighting up New York tote boards at uh, at big odds, that's for sure. And yeah, if you if you cherry pick back through the best of, of, of his form, I can see where you're going with that. And I think that the the three recent ninths are going to probably mean you get a very, very big price. So if you're willing to spread, definitely one that I think makes sense to, to throw in at, at what should be boxcar odds. Any others you wanted to mention in here? A little more logical with Churchtown to the inside. I think his tactical speed really just works to his advantage. And, you know, Roger Atfield, you never need to twist my arm to to include him. I was much more master of the obvious here with my idea being this was a place I was going to try to get stuck into with uh, with Steady On, who I just thought was so good the last day, uh, imperious in victory against that allowance field. And, and I just think this horse is, is, is serious, is progressive, has a push button look, allowing him to make his own trip, which I love. And, you know, in great hands, just lots of arrows pointing in this direction. And it did inspire me. And this, you know, as a as a, you know, b- based on pictures I've seen as you uh, seen of you in your uh, in, in your formative years, I'm going to guess you weren't necessarily a Sean Colvin fan. Is that is that a safe guess? Is that Sonny came home? OK. All right. We, so, <laughs> I was thinking it was all goth all the time based on the attire I'd, I'd seen from from your. I, uh, from that's your, fair, but I like all things pop culture. I'm pretty sure Sunny Came Home is on my playlist somewhere. <laughs> well, steady on the great Sean Colvin record from 1989. This this horse being in here uh, inspired me to throw that on. Well, I did this handicapping. So hopefully uh, the Sean Colvin hunch play and the master of the obvious pick steady on can get it done for me, though. I am tempted to run a few backup lines through the seven and one who you mentioned in race number seven. Let's talk about race number eight, where we've got $25,000 claimers going a mile on the dirt. I'll kick this one off. I was going to play the three abundant honor. I thought this horse can bounce back in this spot using hold up tactics in a race where I thought there were just several who looked like they really need their lead. They need the lead to show their best. And the best run for abundant honor came under what I think are going to be very similar circumstances to this same course and distance, fast pace in front of him. I will try to keep the two Emperor's Cause on side, not just because he's owned by our friends at 10 Strike Racing. Emperor's Cause dropping down below the level of the claim in the third start for the new barn and looks like one who could come running late. If Abundant Honor decides to join the party early, I thought Emperor's Cause could be the beneficiary. Three and two for me in race number eight. Jessica, how do you see it? For me, I thought this was the sort of race where people could get suckered into going pretty deep as it's a it's a pretty wide open, salty group. So for me, I'm kind of narrowing my ticket here and trying to take a stand with Mr. Candy Ride. Second start off the bench for Michael Maker. Stretching out to a route, I think there's a lot of upside as this horse continues to round back into form. And his effort last time out was encouraging. It, you know, he was third. He looked like he came up a little bit short for me. He just got tired in the stretch, but that was his first start since February. Um, so quite a layoff for him. And I think with one more step forward, he also gets the ideal pace set up, much like some of your selections. It's going to be hot on the front end. Yeah, I think so too. And and I mean, you know, Maker, second start off the claim. A uh, horse absolutely had license to be short last time and is one that, that you know, I, I think makes a lot of sense to come running in for a little piece at least. So so you're, you're going to stand alone with Mr. Candy right here? I will take a stand. Why not? I think sometimes that's what you got to do if you want to get paid. 
Let's talk about race number nine, the penultimate race on this card. New York Reds, three and up Phillies and Mares in the allowance ranks. We're going six furlongs on the turf. And I will mention, uh, I'll go first in this one. The 12, tis a party. Excellent form. Should be set to move forward. Another one, second start off a layoff, not as long of a layoff as uh, as the one we were talking about in the last race. You know, I don't love the outside post, but I think this horse is handy enough to negotiate the trip from out there. And then the stable mate of Tiz Party, the two, uh, Shigeko, this horse had had a lot of trouble staying on the track, but has shown flashes of talent and I think could be well-suited uh, for this task for Clement and Joel Rosario. And then I will also throw in Patria, the five runner, has formed the ties in closely with the top pick and a chance to be the speed of the speed. So mostly the 12 and a little bit two and five for me. Jessica, what are your numbers here? I'm with you with the two Christophe Clement horses. They were where I, I had a tough time getting past them. 12 and two for both of us to uh, top things off here in uh, the penultimate race, which brings us to our nightcap where we've got two-year-old New York bred Philly maiden claimers at the $40,000 level. We're going six furlongs on the dirt. Jessica, how are we going to get paid? I'm going to get paid with my fa- one of my favorite New Englanders who I get to see at parks all the time now, and that is Maggie with uh, John T. Kirby. So uh, John rarely puts a horse on a van and ships them unless they're pretty live. We saw him win one of the claiming crown races at Churchill Downs last weekend. And this horse, I know her form has been, you know, not great, but she's too. I think this is a horse who is developing, drops in for a tag here. And she does, again, need to do better than that last race at Parks. But maybe she didn't like the sloppy track. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. And the race two back um, at Aqueduct, that was a very fast pace. She was contesting that day, still managed to stick on for third. I I can definitely see Maggie if I squint in a race where I don't mind um, spreading a a bunch. I think I could, uh, I think I will probably include. I went with the Sonia Nips on top. And this one, I don't know how much this angle matters. Just old school reflexively. Love Jimmy Jerkin's second-time starters. Now, it's a little bit different with this horse because the first start was for another trainer, but I still feel like she ran well enough on debut on the grass, and I think it's going to be an okay price in this spot. I definitely wanted some Sonia Nips. And then Mommy Joe Dreams, just a horse who, looking at a pace map, chance to be speed of the speed at this level, basically a horse I think has a good chance of making the lead is going to be on some tickets. So I, I played it two and five. Were there any others that you wanted to mention in addition to Maggie, or will we leave it there? I'm not going to single, but I, I could be talked into Sonia Nips as well here. I think there this is one of those races where you do probably need to spread a little bit. It's a little tricky, that's for sure. Well, Jessica, we appreciate you taking time out of a busy week and looking at some aqueduct with us, and we'll surely be talking to you a bunch more this winter. Thank you. Good luck, everyone. Don't miss the standard bread action at Century Mile on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th for the National Drivers' Championship. The card kicks off at 6.15 Mountain, that's 8.15 Eastern, where eight drivers are competing from across Canada to win their way to the World Driving Championship. Drivers earn their way into the finals by finishing first or second in their respective regional driving championships. The winner will have the opportunity to represent Canada in the 2023 World Driving Championship to be held in Germany in conjunction with the World Trotting Conference. Lots of big name drivers are going to be competing and there's going to be some great 
action to bet on. We're going to have full coverage thanks to Edison Hatter and the First Over podcast here on the In The Money Media Network, and we'll have coverage on the Players podcast as well. Next up on the show, we bring in the reigning Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion. I never get tired of saying that. He's also the business manager here at In The Money Media and our Woodbine expert. He is Drew Coatney. Drew, what's going on? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just gearing up for the uh, Thanksgiving week, trying to split time between in-laws and my family. So uh, getting ready. And, and we do this fantastic golf outing, you know, cross our fingers that the rain holds off in West Virginia. It's called the wild turkey. And at every par three, they have a different variation of wild turkey. I think there's like three of them that exist out there. So it's really fun to, yeah, to be able to just like sample all the different kinds and uh, by the end of it, uh, you're ready to to get on home, and we're going to do an oyster fry as well, another holiday tradition for us. So some oh, bourbon in the morning and some oysters in the afternoon with a martini. Cannot beat that. <laughs> I'm very envious of your holiday of your holiday plans here. We've got a few weeks left at Woodbine. I know, you know, still a focus of yours this time of year, and we've got certainly the start of this sequence, especially a couple of really interesting races. And then uh, I think I might have a clever idea or two as we get later. I'm very curious to get your thoughts. Are you under snow or is that what I know there's snow in your part of the world? What's going on with that? Yeah. Up here in Northern Michigan, we have about six inches. I think we're probably going to get another foot by the time it's all said and done, but they're calling for it all to melt by Thursday or Friday. So the poor pumpkins that I have out for the Thanksgiving holidays are starting to look pretty, uh, pretty snowed in at this point so yeah we're 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 nice and chilly but how about you the weather here looks okay for the next few days we just did the aqueduct sequence with jessica i think saturday is going to be all right i'm running in a turkey trot on thanksgiving i've for the first time since the marathon in 2020 i've been running regularly and i'm feeling pretty good hopefully um you know off the layoff i can equip myself uh, decently well but it's been fun it's been fun having a, a training goal again and it's lots of time to listen to podcasts and things i've been listening to the new um joel stein podcast story of the week that's very good i recommend that to folks and i have to recommend you know throwing in for the home team the new episode of owner's box with mike repoli as a guest it's some of the best stuff that they've ever done i mean billy and michelle always do a great job and they have so many great guests in that archive and so much of the stuff is evergreen but this this uh the, the, the Rapoli one is one that I definitely think I recommend to you and all the listeners to check out. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I saw that one come up my feed. That is one I have earmarked and you know, for your Turkey trot, I only want to see the run running line of off evenly determinedly down the lane. That's, I think that's the <laughs> mindset you need to have there. If I split the field, I'll be doing very well. Split the field for my age group. That's probably should be my goal. I don't know what time that would be. It's, it's going to be, I'm going to probably run to heart rate. I, I say this and then I'll probably violate it. I want to run to heart rate and just go out there very slow and lope around and earn my turkey. But you know how those competitive juices get flowing. We'll see. We'll see what happens out there in the, the Port Washington Thanksgiving Day run, which I did for the first time. 30. It'll Next year, it'll be. Let's see. Yeah. Next year, it'll be 30 years. The first time I did that race. So, oh, my God. Getting old, my friend. It's, that's almost the age of me. I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> Sorry I've been running you. races for as I've got race t-shirts for as long as you've been alive. Well, that was the joke we used to say when we started the DRF players podcast with, with, with Matt Bernier. I have t-shirts that are older than you. And I wasn't joking. <laughs> um, Although right, I, do have, I do have a t-shirt. I do have a t-shirt of 
the original bad boys from the Detroit Pistons era in the eighties. That's older than me as well. Uh, however, it does not uh, fit my uh, frame anymore. Unfortunately, I think it, uh, I'm going to blame it on shrinking in the, in the, uh, <laughs> nothing to do with weight gain. You're not expanding. The shirt is just shrinking. And that is one of the great Drew Coatney facts, you know, uh, of all time. You attended the malice of the palace. Speaking of the Pistons. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, now we have to dive into these races. See, this is what's great about splitting these shows up into two, like I'm doing this week. We can have ridiculous tangents about the malice of the palace and, and old t-shirts. All right, race number seven on Saturday, 425 is the scheduled post time. We've got Phillies and mares in the allowance ranks, six furlongs on the synthetic, a field of eight going postward. Horse jumped out to me in this race, Drew. I'm curious if it's one that you have on your radar. What do you think? I have two top A's and then a, a backup here. And then the, my top choice is the number four, Miss Speedy, eight to one. I don't know if we're going to see eight to one, but I think should be best of the speeds it breaks on top and should keep running. And I like to see the seven in the route races last year to give confidence that this runner is going to have finish if does break on top. So um, last out, the good going was an easy, like, cross that one off the PP line and give an excuse and has been running against Stakes Company in the last three beyond that. So I think the class should prevail for Cassie at eight to one for a horse he shipped over to Keeneland for the Raven run uh, with the confidence there. I-, I don't know if you could go any wrong with eight to one in that price. So the number four Miss Speedy for me and then the number one hard edge, I, I think is going to rate off typically as a front runner style, but. I think Flores is going to stock those speeds and should be able to have all right to make one run. If everything falls apart, the number eight imagery four to one is my like hit the board, try underneath key everywhere. But I'm going to use just for a little bit on top, just in case if things get a little crazy with Miss Speedy Hard Edge. And I think there's two other speed horses in here, one of which is the number two half in the wrapper. I don't know if half in the wrapper can actually keep up with these. I think it's just going to be in the gate and uh, get left at the gate a bit. We'll see what happens. I thought there was enough pace to set up imagery, and that's the one that I picked. Closer in a race full of speed, as far as I'm concerned. And I love the fact, and this is an angle that Matt Vagvolgi pointed out using uh, race lens that well, and just his observations, but how good Daisuke Fukumoto is with holdup types. So for me, imagery fit on figures and form, but... Under these circumstances, I thought was a clear top pick. I do like your idea of Miss Speedy potentially being the speed of the speed. You mentioned the good turf as an excuse last time. How about the 370-day layoff as well? So second off the bench, I do like the idea of her being best of speed and being somewhere. But for me, the main play is number eight imagery in race number seven. Let's move to race number eight, where we've got another nice-looking allowance race for fillies and mares. We stretch out going a mile and an eighth on the synthetic this time. And I went with Peace Seeker, the number six. This is one, it's a sort of a qualified pick because this was a race I looked at pre-morning lines and was guessing Peace Seeker would be a bit of a price. Then I saw um, Ernie Perry hung five to two morning line on Peace Seeker. And to be honest with you, that would be a little too short. What I liked about Peace Seeker is this is just a much easier spot than the last few days and I thought would get an excellent setup. Um, I'm going to make her the selection thinking maybe she's going to be more like seven to two, four to one. If she is hammered, I would be pretty comfortable making the two devil's bit the main play in this spot. Devil's bits face tougher in the two grass runs since that maiden breaking victory. And I thought it was worth one more shot or at least a shot going farther on synthetic 
and I thought might be able to get the right kind of ground saving stalk and pounce type run. This is a horse who I think will probably be five, six to one. I think Ernie had it eight. I like the six and the two basically. And I'm sort of reserving the right to switch around the order based on uh, prices. And we'll be able to see looking at doubles. I definitely see playing a race seven race, eight double here. And uh, I'll let the price be my guide. I'll certainly have twos and sixes on the ticket. How about yourself? No, oh, we're carbon copy, unfortunately. So I'll comment on the condition. I think the N1X in this situation is interesting because we're getting near the end of the year looking to pay some bills. And I think the Peace Seeker is doing exactly that. Is Peace Seeker has been running against some tougher and not in these conditional claiming with the two graded uh, grade threes um, with the Ontario Matron and then the Maple Leaf. So I just think Peace Seeker makes all the sense on the class drop more so than anything as well. Does need a little bit of a setup, but I, th- I think can overcome that pretty easily and has the best figures in form. So we're the same, 6-2. Six, 6-2 two. Six for the both of us in race number 8. Let's move on to race number 9. We've got $25,000 claimers, fillies and mares, 3 and up, going 5 furlongs on the synthetic. And this was one where I hope the morning line is right because – I thought that the number six Takota looked very, very strong. Listed at 12 mm-hmm. to one there. And I had as a leading contender. Horse had license to be a little short off the layoff last time. And uh, back in three weeks now, I think should be able to step up. I'm envisioning a good trip just in behind the speed, which was the same trip Takota had the last time that she won. I also wanted to have some fives on the ticket. Ishiyaya won the last two times on synthetic and should get a similar trip today. She has not had success going five furlongs, but I'm not sure there's any signal in that. The barn's going great guns. I'd like to keep her on side. Six and five for me in race number nine. How do you see it? Yeah, this is the shakiest confidence race for me out of the four. And I'm going to go with the number four. I'm a beast at six to one. I think if it can break cleanly and be near the pace, has that good finish and shown before. So we'll excuse the last two efforts as this horse has a habit of being like an in and out type where falls out of form and then all of a sudden falls back into form. So the number four, I'm a B six to one feels good to me. Another a top choice of the number one, Arago one at five to one speed stalker type with the bug job jockey of Slay Jones uh, has finished and the pace doesn't look to be too fast. So could just sit the pocket and run on with it. And then a long shot for consideration is the number nine hit and run. Again, I just think there's so little separating the top from the bottom in this field. I'm going to take a 20 to one shot with excusing those last two performances. And then we have something to work off of. If you look backwards into the PPs, especially on the November 27th performance last year, I think we'll have a chance to, again, press that pace, be near it, and kick clear. So we'll be very overlooked and should juice up the horizontals and even an underneath play as well if, if you're into the vertical type of selections like the try. Certainly, um, you, you're getting a good rider and a, and a barn that's been going okay for uh, yeah. 20 to 1. And I, I can see it if I squint. If you go far enough back in those PPs, that race definitely, that race definitely would fit. And it's the kind of level where – current form isn't always the thing that um is proves definitive so i'll i'll follow you in with uh, throwing some of those runners in underneath in any of the longer horizontal sequences i end up getting involved in all those horizontal sequences will pay off with race number 10 where we've got these seventy five hundred dollar maiden claimers we're going six on the synth with this field 10 how are we going to get paid Oh boy, this is a tough one. I, th- I'm going to speed fire through some. Number two, three mile limit at five to two speed drop in class. The six furlong should fit better if the horse can break and a, a jockey upgrade to Camaro helps. 
The number five swath at 10 to one kind of has that blah dirt form, but ran some stormers at Turfway Park. So uh, I think that's TP. Gosh, I should know this. I, I believe TP is Turfway Park, but it I sure could be is. Wrong. Yeah, go park. Okay, perfect. I was just TP is Turf Paradise. TP is Turfway. There you go. Sorry, I don't know all my minor tracks uh, terribly <laughs> too well. So, anyways, has some speed and some finish. I think will be an interesting one because the price I think is going to get overlooked. And then the number nine all-time classic at eight to one cuts back and has some speed. Took some money last out and a strong recent work should help this one's chances. I will be against the number seven Mia and me. Uh, we'll have to be motoring earlier to stay in touch with the field and. With the six furlong distance, I just doubt this one is going to be able to stay in touch and kind of as a tweener. So I'm going to fade the number seven Mia and Mia. It's such a short price and what's a wide open event. I picked Mia and Mia in this spot just thinking that coming um, back in distance wouldn't be part of the early pace. I, I, I was hoping to get a little bit more of a, of a hold-up ride and you're getting a lot of weight here with Slade Jones, who's proved very effective. Third start for the new barn. And, and I think I thought the race two back on turf was okay. I mean, I take your point. I think if, uh, if me and me goes forward, it's, it's going to be tricky, but I, but I think with more of a mid pack second flight sit could get the job done. And then I was with you on three mile limit. I think you made the case pretty well, bit of a flow upgrade coming out of that last race should be suited by the slight turn back in distance as well. I was much more master of the obvious here playing at uh, seven and two to try to get home. Two, five, and nine for Drew to close things out at Woodbine. Any closing thoughts for today, my friend? No, no. I'm, I'm just excited to see these races and uh, looking forward to handicapping across the uh, holiday break here next week. So should be some good action all across the country, including Woodbine. And yeah, we'll get stuck into it with uh, family around and that always great time. I, I, I know, JK, you probably have some stories as well. I've heard over the airwaves of... Uh, holding a phone under the table to check out what happens in a race. I've been there uh, in many a capacities in different scenarios. So hopefully um, now that I'm the champion, the uh, I'll get some rights to put TVG on. <laughs> you can put the TV wherever you want it. Maybe at this point, that's, that's uh, that that's a beautiful thing. we got about three more weeks at Woodbine. What else? We got some other special stuff coming up. I think JK speaking of the devil and I are going to do a plus show for aqueduct on Sunday. I'm going to be on sky. I don't think he's on TV, but he'll be uh, joining us to give some thoughts on the pick six Thanksgiving. I'm thinking maybe as a Thanksgiving gift to the listeners, I don't know if he's around or not, but I was thinking of maybe reaching out to Frank McGoey when we did our recent plus questionnaire. We had a lot of people saying, well, why hasn't Frank been on in a while? And Folks are right. That's probably a host fail. Maybe we can get him doing some plus stuff for fairgrounds and, you know, won't be too long till Oak Lawn. We'll have some plus stuff uh, on there. And then we're going to be doing a bunch of Maryland coverage on the free side of things. We just made a deal with them. I don't even know if you know that um, dealing with Maryland breeders. So that's going to be fun. Having Laurel become more of a featured track. Obviously, we'll be sticking through with, with Aqueduct and Del Mar. Lots of good stuff. It's it's a little bit of a lull in the calendar, but not in theory, but not really around here. Still plenty of good stuff going on. Yeah, this is my favorite time of the year. We're going to get some good action going. Tampa is going to get started. I don't know when they start up, but that's always great to see. And yeah, just excited. You know, the wind, snow outside and racing indoors. You can't really beat it. I'll tell you what, if you want to do some Tampa, 
you know, first of all, we'll reach out to them and see if they want to do something on the free side. But I, I wouldn't hate the idea of you and me doing some Tampa on the plus side. I just want to make sure, you know, for all the folks that a lot of people, record numbers uh, joining us on the plus side for Breeders' Cup. I want to give them some extra cool stuff. So if you, if you want to look at some Tampa with me, um, maybe some Oaklawn too. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that going for the plus people throughout the winter in addition to all the stuff we're going to have on the free side. Awesome. Yeah, I'm game. Let's let's talk. All right. Thank you one more time to Drew Cotney. Thanks to Jessica Paquette. Thanks to our sponsors for today's show, our friends at Century Mile. Speaking of Thanksgiving action, we got that big night at Century Mile. We're going to have lots of coverage of that next week. The KTDF, it's been so great having them in the fold. How about our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing? Oh, here's a plug that needs to be put in. Sunday is the first of the Marshall Graham interviews, which we're uncreatively, but I still think rather elegantly just referring to, we were thinking, should we come up with a name? I'm pretty sure with the 8,000 horse racing podcasts that are out there, there are no more creative names. They're just going to be the Marshall Graham interviews. And this one he did with Randy Moss to kick things off. It's absolutely must listen, as are all of these. Uh, Partially for your suggestion, Drew, we're going to be dropping those on Sunday morning. Uh, I thought you made a good case as to why. I'll let you explain to the listeners. Yeah, I, I think uh, I do a lot of chores on Sunday, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I've listened to a lot of my podcasts at that point. So having that available on Sunday morning helps to you know run to the grocery store, shovel snow, whatever it is. So uh, <laughs> hearing Marshall's insights are amazing. Love the interview that you uh, did with him on the BCBC plays. If anyone hasn't checked that out, I recommend it highly because it just is a great look at how the BCBC contest is risk and reward and risk tolerance and a bit of psychology. So anyone wants to sharpen their contest play and look through things with him, it's a great way to feel like you're just sitting at a bar with two professionals talking it out. Well, that's kind of you to say. And I I love that you loved it because it wasn't like it was just a Drew Cotney love fest either. He actually pointed out a rather different way of, of looking at it. I wouldn't say he went so far as to question if you made the right decision there, pushing all in on the end on, on flight line. But, you know, it, did it make you did the way he framed that conversation make you think of it any differently? It did. It absolutely did. And and I think the circumstances of that contest are, are different, especially with the gear that it was and how we viewed Flightline um, as a whole within the horse racing community as like a one to nine shot. But yeah. looking at the tote board, his point was you don't do anything. You are guaranteed a three to two win wager on your ninety seven thousand dollar position versus <laughs> What the tote board is saying is just over better than a coin flip. You have a little bit, I think it was like 58% is what two to five works out from a probability standpoint. Don't quote me on that number. So it, it was very interesting, uh, that perspective. My, my takeaway from it, if I'm trying to make money and that's for a profession, absolutely take the three to two. But the competitive juices get flowing as we started at the top of the hour with the turkey trot. Um, <laughs> competitive juices get flowing and that's really what I've, participate in these things and that's why right overcome with emotion is trying to win that's that's what it's all about for uh horse players at the end of the day and that's what i was trying to do as well all right so good stuff coming up on the network the short version of the story is good stuff make sure you check out marshall make sure you check out all the fun stuff we have next week we'll thank the founding partners 10 strike racing I, I, I almost got through the show without this delivery person coming back, but I failed. Oh, well. Well, thank the uh, TRF as well. TRFinc.org slash player. Special announcement about the very last of the TRF um, in the money whiskey bottles. That's coming on the early week show next week. We're also going to have a special visit from Bill Mott 
in the next few days. That's going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, this show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is BCBC champ Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>